Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Go Gamecocks podcast, a very uh, special edition. This is Andrew Ranspecker, honored to be joined by... uh, basketball hall of famer and all-time south carolina great alex english uh, he's been nice enough to let us into his home uh this afternoon as we speak currently from the you got so many rooms in here is this the den is yeah this, the, this is uh my space your space my office space. your office space full of all kinds of memorabilia from your decorated career both on and off the floor and uh, we're going to dive into a couple of those topics uh, and more a little bit for this podcast. And Alex, let's start right there. Obviously, you are, um, we are here outside of Columbia, South Carolina, the only place you've known home uh, since you were born. Obviously, you've traveled all around the world. You've always come back here. You've made your home here. You went to the University of South Carolina when you could have gone other places out of your high school. Let's start there. Why is Columbia so special to you all these years later? Well, a number of reasons. You know, it is home. And you know that you can go home. You can always go home, and there's going to be people there that are familiar, people that like you, may dislike you too, but people that like you. There's family there. But I've always enjoyed coming back here for some peace and quiet after you know living a fast-paced NBA lifestyle. So it was uh, it was it was something that I looked forward to, and always wanted to see. Columbia on the national stage, but small version of it, not, you know, big, big city. Columbia being such a special place for you, if you could kind of describe what, uh, how special that was, how unique it was, because you involved this place during your MBA career, because you came back here for your off seasons. Your daughter Jade was able to tell me, gave me some insight on how uh, you guys would travel back from Denver uh, every summer and it, by car. Tell us a little bit about that and, and why you wanted to do that uh, for your kids. Well, they were they were all small at that time, and we added a couple while I was in Denver. And, uh, you know, we always would wait until school was over when they were out of school, and if we could take them out sooner, we did. But we'd take them out, and we would go. We would travel across country. We'd pack up all the things that we needed for the summer, and we drive to Columbia, and you know uh, we had a suburban back then, and the kids would get they were you know they were kids they would get rambunctious they they'd be bad, and I'd have to stop on the road, and I said hey, you guys don't cut it out I'm gonna stop on the road and I'm gonna get a switch, and being kids they didn't listen, 
So I would be driving through Kansas looking for a tree, <laughs> which was hard to find. And uh, I would stop on the road and I would uh, go get a little tiny switch, There's something that would sting their legs. And I'll say, okay, I'll be able to reach back there. I can drive, I can reach back there, and I can I can get you. And that would calm them down for a little while. But, you know, we had a video had a video in the truck, so that kind of helped them a little bit because it was a long trip. But we would make we made that trip for eight years back and forth because we would always go back to Columbia or come back to Columbia in the summertime. We did have a home here, but then we sold our home and we started building uh, the place we live in now. So we would stay, sometimes we would stay downtown in a, a hotel called the Whitney Hotel. We came and we stayed there, and that was fun because we were in the city and they got to go to the park and there's a lot of stuff around there. So we were out of our home for a, uh, a summer, and then we'd pack up and we'd go back. I did a lot of training in Columbia, my my house where we lived before. It uh, was out, kind of out in the country, so I would run the long dirt roads like a boxer, training. Like Rocky. Like Rocky. Yeah. Uh, and I would do that, and it was so peaceful. <laughs> now I couldn't do that over there. And then I would spend a lot of time in the peace and playing against some of the local talent. So you would come back from your budding Hall of Fame career and come back and play locally against just random oh, yeah. Columbia I, people? I, I played <laughs> against guys at the PE Center because they always had good games. And Xavier McDaniel and Tyrone Corbin and uh, a lot of guys that played at other schools, they would come back as well. So we had a lot of great talent here. Uh, that's where I, you know, I got my chops playing with some of the locals uh, George Glimp, and he had a crew that that I played against uh, in the summertime. We would go to the to the to the parks in the summer and play. But I, you know, once I got to the NBA, I started doing most of my training at the PE Center. Obviously, these are your roots. We've talked about that. Your jersey's being retired at at Dreer High School. Your jersey already retired. Finally, at, at the uh, University of South Carolina, number twenty-two. Is it number twenty-two as well at Dreer? It was number twenty-two there as well. Okay, why why twenty-two? Well, when I, I had, I don't know, I just started with 22. I just liked two. Two has always been a good number for me. So I got 22 at Dreer. And when I got to the university, I kept 22. But when I went, I got drafted by the Milwaukee Bucks. And someone had 22 at that time, Dave Myers. So I went to 23. So I wore, wore 23 for a minute. And when I got to Denver, actually, I wore 22 in Milwaukee as well for a minute. But when I got traded to Denver, Glenn Gondrazak had my number. And I said, okay, I can't get 23. I'll go to number two. So I became number two. <laughs> uh, so now you have, so what, this is now what, this will, after the Dreer retirement, which happens January 31st, the end of the month mm-hmm. in, in, in Columbia, this will be, what, three places now your jersey is retired? Four. I think Colorado Sports Hall of Fame, the South Carolina Sports Hall of Fame, and, of course, the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, and now uh, my high school. And obviously going back to Dreer for that, being around Columbia, you're also around your, your college alma mater at the University of South Carolina. 
just recently when we saw you courtside behind Frank Martin's bench for South Carolina's uh, dramatic upset of, of, of Kentucky. Great win. What is your connection still to this day with the program? Frank Martin has, has talked about how he's, you've talked about a little bit about how he's kind of been open to allowing you to have, have a piece of this program because obviously you mean so much to this program all these years later. What is your relationship with Frank? What do you think about uh, the direction he's setting this thing? And what do you think about this year's team? Well, I have a good relationship with Frank. He, like you said, he has allowed and given former players an opportunity to come back and be a part of the program. I think in February we have uh, like a homecoming for all the former players, and and he invites them all back. Uh, That's not something that they did in the past for a long time. You know, they never – you know, in in order for a a program to grow – you have to intertwine the history of the program. You have to know the history. And he has allowed a part of the history to come back and his players to interact. I enjoy it because I am a, I was a player, but I am also a coach. And I enjoyed coaching, so I get an opportunity to go and watch him coach and and sit there in reverie and Talk, think about the times that I coached head coach at the Charleston Logators. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I enjoy I enjoyed going back to watch them work. I think he has done a very good job, an outstanding job with this team, uh, getting to the Final Four that one year. But you know, slowly adding pieces, which is not easy to add pieces that are going to propel your team going forward. And he's done that, done a good job of that. And like you said, they we beat the uh, Kentucky Wildcats, uh, which was a good game. You know, I think they're – right now he's probably working through keeping – trying to keep the team uh, – getting the team to understand how important it is to come out and play with that type of intensity every night. You know, you play like that against Kentucky and Virginia – but you come out and play against Stetson and, and not give that type of energy. That's not how successful teams uh, win games in in the game of the sport. So I think he's doing a good job of getting them there. And I'm I'm hoping that uh, we get to the NCAAs again. I think that has his team has that potential because of the flashes it's shown against Kentucky, Virginia, Clemson, et cetera. Yeah, there's the potential. And you think about, uh, you know, when they start looking at it, they say, well, you know, you lost to Stetson, but you beat Virginia. You beat Kentucky. Uh, and who knows who else will beat. But, you know, they have to weigh all that. And I think with that, we've got a good shot if we continue to get better and win. You talk about how it's not easy to build the program a little bit, and, and specifically to the University of South Carolina. During your time there under Frank McGuire, the golden era of South Carolina basketball. In the decades since, there's been just, I guess, the best way to phrase it might probably be inconsistency. Yeah. Why do you think that was the case? And, and because of that, uh, how difficult of a job can it be coaching the University of South Carolina, considering where it's located, considering how close it is to a couple of blue bloods or up the road in North Carolina. How difficult is this job? And what, what's a fair way to judge how someone's doing it, at it? It's, it's not an easy job. I'll say that. You know, I, I watched Coach McGuire 
coach after he'd had so many years of experience in winning. Frank Martin's had a lot of success with the teams that he's worked. He was a very successful high school coach as well. So, you know, he knows what it takes. You've got to have that. you got to have the know-how, uh, how to teach defense, how to get your team to react to you and how to get your team to play for you. He has that stuff. Those are the important things. But you also have to have talent. And, you know, we've we've been picking up talent, good talent along the way. I think we've got a very talented team this year. I think we've got a very talented team. And, and I'm a little disappointed at times that they haven't performed the way they should. But I am a patient man. And I... I think we'll get there. Obviously, talk about talent. Frank Martin has produced talent that has gone on now to play uh, in the NBA. In fact, the day that South Carolina beat Kentucky uh, was the same day that Chris Silva officially signed a three-year contract with the Miami Heat coming off his two-way deal with the G League. Also, the debut of uh, P.J. Dozier, Dozier for the Denver Nuggets. With, with your Denver Nuggets. And, and was very instrumental in their win last evening. Yeah, so so let's let's go there. PJ himself, another Columbia kid like yourself, comes here as part of a Final Four team. Now he's playing with the Denver Nuggets, a guy who's had to you know been back and forth the two way deals a lot, still trying to find solid footing in the league. How neat is it for you, knowing someone that has a similar path to you, a similar background to you, is now playing in a spot uh, where you used to play? What's your relationship been like with with PJ over the years? What do you think about his future? I'm happy for PJ. We've had a good relationship. Uh, he loves the game. He he really studies the game, and he puts his work in. So I, I knew he would be successful. It may take a minute, and the route that he's taken, he's going to appreciate it a lot more. You know, he's gone through the G League. He's been back and forth, and now I think he's going to get an opportunity to get a lot more playing time with Denver because Jamal Murray, their star player, is out. And I don't know for how long, but P.J. came in and did an outstanding job for him. So I'm happy for him. I'm happy for Chris Silver. You know, they're both super nice kids, both very hard workers, and they deserve it. And, you know, I tweeted Chris Silver and P.J. and said that, you know, this is what consistent, consistent hard work will do for you. It will give you that opportunity. And. They've got the opportunity, and I, once you get it, it's, you don't want to let go because it's such a good job. You you want to keep it. And you're someone that kept it for a long time. During a time in the NBA where it seemed like it, the popularity to what it is now kind of started, I guess you would say probably in the middle of, of your career, yep. when, when David Stern really took over. I think he took over in 1984, I think became NBA commissioner, uh, obviously former commissioner, passed away on, on New Year's Day 2020 this year. He was big on the globalization. He's credited a lot for the globalization of the game, adding professional players to play. In the Olympics, you're someone that's that's part of uh, that continued push uh, for basketball without borders, I believe. What do you think of, when you think back to David Stern, what was your relationship with him, and, and uh, what did he do to help grow this game? He did a lot. You know, he was uh, probably the best commissioner ever you know, of all sports, because what he did with our sport. And he came in during a time when basketball was 
championship game was on tape delay on uh, networks, or I think maybe NBC or CBS. And he he was able to work with the Players Association to kind of craft a way for us to take our game to another level. There were things that we had to do. And fortunately for me, I was a, I was a player rep at that time as well as an officer and then the uh, president of the union during that period of time that we were going through difficult times. And, you know, we worked with him putting together a comprehensive drug plan. Uh, then we put a, put together a lot of different programs for our players. So he was very instrumental in all of that. He was able to, and sitting across from him at the negotiating table, I watched him masterfully maneuver his owners into what he wanted the league to look like, what he wanted to do. And he hired people around him and gave them the opportunity, told them what he wanted and said, this is what we're going to do. And they did it. So I have lots of props for him. Uh, We went to Africa together, got to meet Mandela together, started basketball without borders. So I, I know him well. I knew him as a player rep, as an officer for the Players Association, and just liked him as a person. He was tough, and he was He knew what he wanted, and he knew how to get it. Obviously, the NBA now is under uh, Adam Silver, former David Stern. uh, Acolyte. uh, Yeah, there you go. Uh, Someone who was kind of his right-hand man for a long time. Yeah. The game now is certainly, sometimes you look at it, and NBA offseason sometimes is is just as exciting as in the season with the free agency and things of that nature. And this wave here over the last you know, 10 or so years, it, it seems to be back at that popularity, maybe how you recall it, and maybe leading into those Jordan days. What do you think of the game now? Obviously, there's some there's some issues out there that, that are talked about, load management being one of them. Uh, you're a guy, I think we looked it up, I think you played, was it five, five full seasons? Played all 82 games, another six, or you played at least 80. So apparently load, load management was not in your vocabulary, as it probably wasn't for a lot of guys back then. <laughs> no, it wasn't. And, you know, we didn't – they they couldn't put me on the bench. I, You know, I'd be begging to come back in the game because I enjoyed playing. I felt like I had conditioned myself and was in the best condition. During the latter stages of the year, if we were going to the playoffs, you know, I would probably maybe sit out a game or so, but – Rarely, because I enjoyed playing so much. And I think a lot of guys back then were the same way. But I do understand how important it is to have load management now. Because it's a, well, I can't say it's as strenuous as it was when we played. Because I can remember playing five games in seven nights. Back-to-back-to-back, game off, night off, then a back-to-back. And we did not have private jets flying us around. We'd have to get up at four in the morning to catch a flight to the next city when everybody was smoking in first class. And you didn't always get first class. And then you get to the next city and play. So I guess it's it's good for the athletes. And they get an opportunity to show up every night and give the, the fans a good product. You guys not going first class, not always getting it. For a, I'm just trying to picture this, an NBA team, guys are what? Average size, yeah, seven a, feet. A lot of seven-footers back then. <laughs> I mean, were you folded in these seats? I mean, how, how difficult well, we, was that? Well, they tried to give us first class as often as we could, 
and if you were a senior player, you got first class. If there were only five seats available in first class, the most senior pl- most senior players got them. Everybody else would be in the back, and there was a lot of smoking going on. So <laughs> it wasn't always pleasant. But you did uh, you did whatever you needed to do to push the game forward and to do your work and do your job. When you look back in, in the NBA, let's let's go with the NBA. Obviously, you played during I think when when Michael Jordan was coming up, and 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 uh, obviously he went on to have perhaps the greatest athletic career maybe of all time. Do you have a Michael Jordan story? Everybody talks about his unbelievable competitiveness. Did you ever golf with them? Did you ever no, do anything like that? I do have a Michael Jordan story. And my story was we went to Chicago State, the old Chicago mm-hmm. Stadium, to play Chicago. And he was maybe in his second or third year. And Scottie Pippen was a rookie. And we go there to play. And, you know, we're winning. And... uh I guess I was having a good game. I was torching Scottie Pippen that night in the first half. And uh, I guess Michael Jordan must have said, hey, let me guard him. And the next half, I think I maybe only scored two points. He was so competitive and such a good defensive player. And he knew what he needed to do for them to win was to at least contain me. And they did. I do remember that. He may not remember that, but I do. Now, was he? Now he was kind of a legendary trash talker. He didn't talk trash at that him. age, right? He's a yeah. second-year guy going against you, who's he, yeah. He was competitive, right? He didn't talk trash to me, though. Okay, okay. That was your NBA career. You then went on to uh, coach in the NBA. You've, you've been in some movies. Um, you've you've done a lot of a lot of different things. How would you describe? Uh, what what Alex English is now, um, your your post playing career, your post coaching career, uh, as you as you look back upon it. I wish that I could have uh, been a head coach with an NBA team. That was my vision, my dream. It didn't happen, but I'm I'm happy with the career that I've had. Basketball was always a, a vehicle to get me to other things, uh, whether it be a better life or an opportunity to go act in a movie or to get my book of poetry sold or whatever. You know, it was always a vehicle that moved me through the world. I got to meet a lot of people. I got to go to a lot of different countries. I have no regrets. It's Basketball has been good to me, as you can see. <laughs> sure. So I, uh, I, 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 the only thing I would change is probably me maybe getting an opportunity to be a head coach because then you as a head coach you've got you get an opportunity to mold the team how you want it you know how you think it can win and to this day I mean I would mold the team like my Denver Nugget teams and to this day I've seen no one no other team that's been able to do what we did I mean we average 120 points a game we still have the highest scoring game in the history of the NBA that we lost 186 to 184 to Detroit. So there was a style of play that we played that allowed us to get, we didn't have got a lot of great three-point shooters. In fact, I don't think we, we only shot the three-pointer during my career maybe for a couple of years. It was all two-pointers. It was free throws. 
But the way we did it, you know, nobody's done it like that again. And I always wondered, maybe it's because people don't study history. You know, we, we played that way and we won. We were in the playoffs maybe nine straight years. And if not for me getting my thumb broken against the Lakers in 86, I think, uh, we could possibly have uh, gone on to win a championship. But we had great years. Uh, you look at our record. We were 45-plus games all the time. But nobody has played that style. There, You can see the game picking up now. Sure. They're picking up now, and it's a lot faster. But they were nice. We scored 160 points. Without I mean, a three-point line. Scoring, yeah, without a three-point yeah. line. So it was a style, and it was a style that Doug Moe had in his mind, and and we we ran to perfection. And we didn't have Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. Right. Clay Thompson on our team. I was going to say, when you say the game's picking up, you no. talk about the scoring, obviously everybody thinks of the Golden State Warriors no. and, that, and that dynasty, which we was so... We had a bunch of no-names. Which was benefited, obviously, by all those all-stars, but also that three-point line, and you're yeah. doing it in a different way. Yeah. We had a bunch of no-names and still scored 186 points, 184 points. And what you guys do against a Frank Martin defense? We would pick it apart. <laughs> Because the way the, the <laughs> offense that we ran was an offense that we took the ball out as soon as it came out of the net and we were gone. And if they were overplaying us, we were back door. Yeah, which is a staple, you know? obviously, of Frank's. Yeah, I mean, Frank's they defense. they they liked it, but they they wouldn't have been able to get in their defensive position because we would be moving the ball so fast. Right. And if it ever got, and if they ever did, and if they were overplaying us, we'd be back door on them in a heartbeat. We'd like be chomping at the bit. <laughs> well, Alex, you can uh, you know you, you you see Alex obviously at, at games. He sits behind the bench, right? Yes, uh, most of the time. And a guy who's still active on on social media, interacts with his fans. A guy who still has an active role uh, in the community in Columbia. So uh, make sure to follow Alex on Twitter and and things that that he is doing. Anything uh, you'd want to add that that people well, can check I'm, out? I'm I'm working with Family Promise. And Family Promise is an organization that works to find homes for homeless families, help them get back on their feet, you know, help them with working with churches to find places for them to sleep at night and get back on their feet. So I am just getting into that and uh, will enjoy it. I know I will, and I'm, I'm hoping I can do a lot of good. I do my basketball camp at Cardinal Newman in the summer. We have a great time. And I enjoy going to basketball games. I'm I'm looking. i tell you what I want to do. I want to act again. Really? I'm looking to uh, maybe try and go to one of the local theaters and audition for a play or something. Like at the Nickelodeon downtown? It... Well, not Nickelodeon. They don't, that's not stage. Oh, right. You're Trust right. Us. Okay. Yeah, I go to Trust Us. They've got the Harbison Theater. I'd like to do that again. Okay, all right. We'll get that out there. Come see Alex English perform. Well, I've got to get it. I've got to audition first. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't get my my role in Amazing Grace and Chuck. They didn't just give it to me. Right. You had to beat some people out for that. I had to audition for it. Okay. Okay. Would you want a singing role, a speaking role? No singing. No singing. No dancing. No singing. Okay. Okay. I want some some acting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Man of. Uh, Keeps himself busy, even though you yeah. call yourself retired at this age. Alex, uh, appreciate you uh, you coming on the podcast. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you.